0: Scripture reading this morning will be from Ephesians 7, I mean, Ephesians 4, 7 through 16. Again, Ephesians 4, 7 through 16. And it reads, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, When he ascends on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying, He ascends, what does it mean? but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascends far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of God, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about of every wind of doctrine by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, for whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint which is it equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow, so I can build itself up in love. You may now be seated.
1: Well, I'm very happy to be with you today. I'm very grateful for your presence as well, and just to be a part of this wonderful worship today I'm very grateful if you're visiting with us we're always happy to have you encourage you to come back and be with us whenever you possibly can we'll be meeting tonight at six and we've been studying a series of lessons on Sunday night that we will resume and we will continue talking about the Holy Spirit we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit in the matter of conversion the Holy Spirit and the Word of God and I trust that it will be something that will be of help to you and a very important subject from the scripture. Now I encourage you to come and be with us, very happy uh, to have all of us today, what a wonderful audience we have this morning, I'm always encouraged by the fine singing that we have, thank you for that, Uh, for the very fine prayers that uh, have been offered in our behalf, I'm so very thankful for you and the fine way you've led us in our worship service today. As has been mentioned in a Bible class and uh, in prayer and in uh, uh, several opportunities, we finished with our gospel meeting, had a wonderful gospel meeting, Brother Sam Wilcutt, last week. And I thought to myself, what's the best way now to follow up on that and, and to study and to consider uh, ways and means whereby we may grow from the wonderful experience we had worshiping together, studying the Bible together, and uh, make, take advantage of the gospel meeting. And as was mentioned, if you weren't able to come, I understand uh, uh, those who are out of town, maybe conflicts of interest, some kind of something like that that brought took you away. I certainly understand those particular matters. You can go to the website and get uh, the lessons, and I encourage you to do that if you haven't Uh, Listen to them or weren't able to listen to them, go to the website and listen to some of those lessons, all of them, and they were very uplifting and encouraging, and I'll say a little more about that as I go along today, and so I want you to know that um, I thought the best way for us to grow and to take advantage of the wonderful opportunity that we had last week is to ask ourselves the question, really, just how do I fit in? Am I really fitting in? And am I serving in the place that I need to serve in order to please God and to be the most benefit that I can for the kingdom of God? And when I think along those lines, I think of a number of passages. Just any number come to mind, and I will share some with you today. The first one that comes to my mind is always Romans chapter 12, and particularly verse 3, and I'll end up going, to there, going there in a minute. But I thought, you know to Ephesians four and particularly verse seven. And with your Bible open, you're li- reading along, and thank you Asher for the fine reading today. In Ephesians chapter four verse seven, if you'll notice something there, I'm just going to look at that verse and read that and then you can think about what it means. But grace was given of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, if I just took that verse and read it by itself, and I didn't take into consideration before it or the verses after it, I wonder what impression I would get from that particular verse. The impression that I would get from that particular verse is that Christ has saved me and and that I'm recipient of the grace grace of God. And it's a wonderful thing. When I was obedient to the gospel of Christ, I received God's forgiveness of sin. He said, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And I would think, well, that's what he's talking about there if I just read verse 7. And I didn't read the before or the verses after. And all I read was verse 7. I'd come away thinking, you know, God has blessed me with His wonderful grace. And I have to say amen to that. He has. But that's not what he's talking about here. He's not talking about saving grace. In verse 7, so much as he's talking about the ability to work for the Lord. And that God has given every one of us gifts and abilities that I can use in behalf of the kingdom of Christ. And when you go back to the earlier passages and the later passages, and I'll do that, as we always do, we'll analyze the context and we'll look at it very carefully as far as its meaning. But when you look at verse 7, you see it in that light a little differently. But God, but grace was given to each one of us. Ability was given. Capacity was given to each one of us. Now, a lot of times the Bible will talk about are the gifts that God has given and the things that we're capable of doing. Sometimes it'll speak about it in the context of the miraculous work. Sometimes it'll t- speak of it in the context of natural abilities and that kind of thing. But one thing is for sure. I grow spiritually. When I set myself under the Word of God and I start reading that and I start learning that, and my faith is growing because of that, and I grow spiritually when I find to work in the kingdom of God. And it takes both. It takes both for me to grow as I should. And then he adds a little bit with the discussion, a parenthetical statement. It starts at verse 9. You know what a parenthetical statement is? Uh, well, it's that thing where it has a little parentheses. Yeah, right. But a parenthetical statement is something that when you start writing and you think of something you want to add to the in a parenthetical statement. And that's what you have here. It comes to us as Scripture, verse 8 and verse 9. Therefore, it says... When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now the statement. In saying, he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower reaches or regions of the earth. He was descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things and then he brings the parenthetical statement to a close. And his thought really begins to pick up again. in verse 11, where he starts talking about the gifts which Christ has sent to men. And these gifts were to help the church. And these gifts were to build the church up. And they actually helped in that wonderful way. And he says, "...and he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and teachers..." to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, verse 12. Now, as I went through the passage, I counted five particular references that he makes with regard to the gifts that had been given. And I don't think he meant that to be an exhaustive list. That is just a representative type of list of, of gifts And abilities that God gave, and some of them natural and some of them supernatural gifts, as we read of them in the passage, that God gave to the church to equip the church and to build the church up. And it was for a period of time, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. If I were to ask the question, or someone were to ask the question, what is this all about anyway? What is this all about anyway? And I'm not just talking about here Ephesians chapter 4. What is Christianity all about? What is it all about? Why do we have these particular why do we go and we could start listing and so I did I started just a little list here and I thought well I'll share some of this and talk about it and I'm sure it's not anything that you do not already know but the thoughts that came to my mind first and foremost was a transformed life Christianity is about changing my life a transformed life that I now live for Christ and I don't live for the world You see that in our text here. In fact, it starts in the first part of chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. He uses the word walk there, and there are several walk passages in this portion of the book of Ephesians, and when he talks about walking, he's talking about being transformed. Start living the Christian life. That when you were baptized into Christ, you repented of your sins, and you confessed your faith in Jesus Christ, as the Bible teaches, and it's time for you to walk. And the walking that he says here, he uses this adjective, how do we walk here? The kind of walk, it is a worthy walk. Walk worthy of the calling. As important as the calling was, to hear the gospel and to repent of sin. That was so important. Now your life, to live it in accordance with that gospel is so important. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, isn't this a great passage verse 1? He says, "If raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God." Now that in its present tense is saying keep seeking, keep seeking. And his point there is since you have been raised, and you've been raised from baptism to now walk and live the transformed life, you start seeking the things which are above. And he goes a step further, and that's the amazing part for me, verse 2. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. I'm in Colossians 3, and I read verse 2. And verse 2 is telling us not only to set our life in the right direction, set our thinking, set our minds in the right direction. You know what that is? That's a transformed life. That's, a li- that's what it's all about. It's a life that has been transformed, whereby my behavior has changed, my thinking has changed, now I'm thinking on things above, and I'm acting on those particular matters. I am walking in such a fashion that it exemplifies the gospel as important as that gospel message is so my life is to be that way too and that's what he's talking about in this passage and i thought you know there's another point that ought to be added if i'm going to ask the question you know what is this really all about I to say that it's assembling together and being together as children of god whereby we come together and worship And sing these beautiful songs and pray, listen, and be led in beautiful prayers and very sincere scriptural prayers such as we have been led in today and through the course of our gospel meeting this past past week. Assembling together, so important. And God knows we need that. And so He writes it in the scripture, Hebrews 10 and verse 25. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is. You exhort one another and encourage one another, Hebrews 10 25, and various passages eleven, and all passages like that are emphasizing when you come together to worship in one place, come together. And that really is the root meaning of the term church. It comes from a a, a German word, kirke, that we get our English word. But it goes further back than that. It means to assemble together. These people are assembling themselves together to worship God. And when I ask the question, and somebody asks me the question, what's this all about anyway? I'd have to say, assembling together to worship God. We come together and worship because God knows we need it. I need you need me here so that we assemble together and we are worshiping God together and encouraging one another building each other up oh it's a very important thing that we do but there's a third thing that I thought of this third point and this is not an exhaustive list either now I've got a duty you know when I confess my faith in Christ, Romans 10, Matthew chapter 10, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and I confess my faith in Christ, I believe that with all my heart. He is a fulfillment of old text. He's the one that was spoken about of old, and God made good on His promise, and He brought His Son into this world, and it is Jesus. And I believe he's God's only begotten son. I took upon myself a duty to live for him. The Bible tells us when I was Christ, Acts chapter 2, verse 38, that God forgave me. Brother Sam brought this point up and he was emphasizing this point at various times. This is not a work of merit, but this is a, a work of faith, a work of righteousness. A work that God has commanded. Just like John chapter 6, faith is a work. Here's a work that God has commanded. Here's a work that God has commanded. And that is to be baptized unto Christ for the remission of sins. It's not a work of merit whereby I put God in my debt. I'm doing this, now you owe me eternal life. But it is a work of faith where God has told me to obey Him. And God forgives me of my sin and applies the blood of Christ to me and my soul. Romans chapter 6 verse 4 through 6. But when that happened, Acts chapter 2, he adds me to his church. He adds me to his body. He adds me to his people. His blood bought body of people. And I have a duty a duty to the people, a duty to the body. I have a job to do. And the reason I have a job, he tells me in verse seven, but grace will each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. God gave one of us abilities. And he gave every of us responsibilities. And he gave every one of us jobs to do. Now that I've been op- Christ, I have duties to perform. Now, this is not the only place that emphasizes this particular matter. If you would, turn with me to a passage found for us in First uh, Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, and I love this particular passage because he says about verse 10, now he's talking about being sober-minded and controlling myself. What an important verse that is. Verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Isn't that a great verse? Since love covers a multitude of sins, show hospitality one to another without grumbling as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards great grace. You notice what he said right there, as each one of you have received a gift, why each one of us have received abilities, each one of us have received a gift somewhere some way whereby we utilize that for the glory of God and and for the church of the Living God, you see, when I obeyed the gospel and I confessed my faith and I believed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and I was baptized into Christ, I'd repented of my sins, I took upon a responsibility. I lived a transformed life. I assembled myself Christ. But I also have a responsibility, a kind of a job to do. a job to work for the Lord, in what capacity I've been given ability to do. And I think the emphasis in Ephesians 4, 7, I'm now seeing in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Every one of us has got abilities, and I'm to use that ability for the glory of God. And now I come to Romans chapter 12. This has got to be one of my favorite chapters. Because Romans chapter 12 tells me more about living the Christian life, I think, than any other chapter. Now that Colossians chapter 3 is right up there at the top. But Romans chapter 12 is emphasizing for me how I am supposed to live this particular matter. And I see about verse 3. Before I get to verse 3, I want to talk about verse 1 and 2. As you turn to Romans 12, he's talking about you know, live my life as a living sacrifice to God. And I'm using my body as a living sacrifice. I'm using my body to work for Him and to serve Him. And I'm not to be conformed to the world, but I'm to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. And and that's what we have in verse 2. And then he comes to verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, Don't be filled with arrogance and pride. Because that defeats the work of the church. But to think with sober judgment. In other words, don't minimize your abilities and don't minimize your talents and don't minimize the importance of your life because that defeats the spiritual growth and the well-being of the body of Christ. Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Each one of us have got abilities. For as in one body, the members members do not all have the same function. So we though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Now in this particular context, some of these are miraculous. We don't have that today. But also in this context, Gifts which we do have today. Whatever the gift in this matter is, use it. Now, what did he say back up there in verse three? I'm in Romans chapter twelve. For by the grace, I say to every one, how many? Every one among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think in other words this you don't think about yourself this way the thing that you need to do is to think You need to think about this. Now, don't think about yourself in being so self-centered and arrogant and that kind of thing. That would destroy the unity of the body and the growth of the body. And don't think that way, but you need to be thinking. And you need to be putting some wrinkle in your brain with regard to your duty to the cause of Christ. But to with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. need to be thinking about this. Now, don't think of yourself this way. But think more of yourself that way. Sober-minded, well-balanced attitude about myself. One thing is for sure. God expects me to be thinking about how I can fulfill my responsibilities to the body of Christ. And I ask this question to myself what is all this about anyway? And Christianity is about serving and working, it's about assembling Hebrews 10.25. It's about living a transformed life. Ah, Romans chapter 12 1 and 2. It's about service too. It's about working. It's about using the gift that every one of us have been given by God for the glory of God and the building up of the body of Jesus Christ. What is this Christianity about? This Christianity is about service. This Christianity is about working and doing what God wants me to do. And so I ask the question, why do I have to do this? Can't God do this? Why do I have to do this? And the answer to that question is, yeah, God could do this all by himself. But God knows I need to do it. And I wonder, why does God want me to act this way? Why does God want me to do this? Because it helps me become more like God. Now, could God do all this? And that way I could just be on the receiving end, and receive and receive and receive, and believe me, brethren, we're on the receiving end so much. Oh, we receive. God is gracious. God is good. God is loving. Providentially, God is cared for. God has given and given and given. And couldn't I just have God do it all for me? And couldn't I just have God do all the work? That way I don't have to do any of this. God could do that. But God knows the best thing for me and my spiritual development. Because if God I would become entitled, and I think all I have to do is sit back and fold my arms and let God do it. But this whole thing about Christianity. Part of it is my work for the Lord and using the gift, whatever it is that God has given me, for Him and His glory. Why? So I can develop and be more like Him. And I had a kid. I had more than one. About teenage years, I know what you're trying to do. And she's a smart kid. I know what you're trying to do, Dad. You're trying to mold me to be like you. And I said, you got it. You got it. You need to be taught what to do. Now, you're not going to be a preacher. You may not marry a preacher. You may choose something else to do. But there's a certain kind of life I'm trying to get you to live. A certain kind of life I'm trying to get you to see. A certain kind of way I'm trying to get you to be. And if you sense in that that I'm trying to mold you in a certain way, you got it right. And I'll tell you what that's all about. That's being a father. That's being a parent. That's being the kind of parent that you need. I'm so proud. So proud of these kids. Oh, I'm so proud of my children. And I don't say a lot about my children, but I'm very, very proud of them, the accomplishments that they've been able to accomplish. And I can see that in my Heavenly Father and what He's trying to do for me. He's trying to mold me. He's trying to make me into the person that I need to be. And he knows that if he just did everything and I did nothing, I'd never become like him. I would be a kind of selfish, indulgent type of person who just always wanted to be on the receiving end rather than be on the giving end. And if I'm not careful, I'll become that way. And I'll forget some of the importance Of what Christianity is all about anyway. That brings me back to Ephesians 4. My text this morning. Verse 11. And he gave the apostles. The prophets. The evangelists. The shepherds. And teachers. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ. That's why those gifts were given. And you and I have many, many gifts that God has given. I know a lot of that right there has to do with the miraculous, and I admit that. It has to do with the miraculous gifts that God had given them. But I have gifts that God has given. Am I using them, and am I developing my potential to build up the body of Christ? Am I Paul said in Romans twelve, you "Better think about this. You better think about your service to Christ, because that's what Christianity's all about." Somebody comes along and says, "Well, just a little. Uh, well, let's talk about that. I can't do much. Let's talk about that. I don't have to say much about it because Paul's already spoken about that. 1 Corinthians chapter twelve. Paul said a lot about that matter." For the body does not but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell? It's amazing how he wrote that. What he did was he characterized, He makes a caricature of different parts of the body arguing with each other. And they're kind of fussing with each other. I'm better than you are. I'm an eye. You're just a foot. And so by this caricature, beautiful way to write it and to help me see the point, he's saying now, you know, the body's just not all eye and the body's just not all foot. It takes eye and body and foot all working together in concert with the body to build it up and to be the body of Christ that Christ wants it to be and to reach its potential. And obviously the church was with that. They were evidently fussing with each other over this and fussing with each other over that. And Paul's emphasizing this important point. One can't say he's more important than the other. Everyone, every little part needs to work in concert with each other so that the church can reach its potential and it can grow and be that shining city on a hill that God wants it to be. Now, I'm going to teach you a little that I have no business teaching whatsoever because I don't know anything about it. I'm going to teach you a lesson on the internal combustion engine, and I know nothing about it. Um, some of you who listen to me are wondering where's he going with this? well you just hang with me because I got a point when I was a boy I saw a little red sports car that I fell in love with and I was a senior in high school and I had to have it and I working on the farm like I did I was very frugal and I saved money and I didn't have everything I needed I went to my dad I said dad I want not buy that car he said, no, you don't want a car like-. I said, Dad, I got to have his car. It's a little red sports car, got a convertible top. This is what I want. He says, well, go down to the bank. Talk to Lawton Urey. He's our banker. See if he'll lend it to you. Unbeknownst to me, my dad had called Lawton Urey in the meantime. Told him, said, try to talk him out of that if you can. If you can't, go ahead and lend him the money to finish out buying it, and I'll stand good for it. I learned that later. Well, Lawton Urie tried. He's a fine fellow. I always liked, he was a member of the church. Lawton Urey. He lent me the money. Lent me the money, and I bought that little sports car. Austin Healey 3000. Mark II. Oh, I had a coon coontail. I had a little cap that snapped right down here on front. And when I'd drive down the road, man, that coontail would go like that. And it was right, bright red best car ever had. One day, it wouldn't run. And I'm on the side of the road, my car won't run. So I walked to a neighbor's house, and I I used a phone, I called my dad, and I said, Dad, there's something wrong with my car. You know what he said to me? Welcome to the joys of automotive ownership. Click. I thought, what am I going to do now? And so who was kind of a motorhead and so he brought his pickup truck we took it over to his house we started tearing into that engine it was a flathead six now that means it had six cylinder walls lined up in a row i didn't know this now cylinder wall is made out of metal and it's got this piston that goes up and down in the cylinder wall so far, so good. This piston has these valves in the top. I didn't know that. One is an exhaust valve. One's an intake valve. When this piston comes down, it takes in air and gas. Then it goes back up through that cylinder wall and there's a spark plug up there and it ignites and ignites that gas-air mixture, driving that cylinder down. That's a compression stroke, they say. Brings it down. Now, this thing has to seal. If it does not seal, you're not going in compression. And when we tore that engine down on that intake valve, that has to open up just at the right time, just enough to let the air and the gas in and seal off so that that explosion can drive that piston back down and that shaft turn the crankcase, there's a seat on that valve. And I know I'm not explaining this right, because I don't know anything about what I'm talking about. But I'm trying to explain what happened to the favorite car that I've had in my life, and that was the seat was broke. And it was letting the compression back down through that valve. And if you don't have that little ring, and that ring is about the size of a wedding band, you're not going anywhere. You will not go. And all it is is a little part that seats, I don't know who came up with this terminology, but it seats that valve and it makes that compression... That moves that car. It's a little part. But don't tell me that little parts don't matter. And Paul's saying in First Corinthians chapter 12. Little parts matter. And it doesn't matter who you are. I'm not a starter. I'm not a transmission. I'm not an engine block. No but you're a little part here. And if all these little parts don't work together, the church can't grow. And the church can't go. And the church can't reach the potential that God wants it to reach. What is Christianity? Christianity is singing that beautiful hymn, Holy, Holy, Holy... Lord God Almighty. Brother Sam spoke about that. Oh, it was so uplifting to hear this congregation sing that. And then we sang that Wednesday night, When We All Get to Heaven. I love to hear the congregation sing about heaven. And I love to hear sermons about heaven. But if you're not here, we got parts of, that need to be involved in the working of the congregation that are not here, they're not functioning, they need this. I don't know if the wording on that song just exactly right or not. I'm not a song leader. Not a songwriter for sure. I've often thought we ought to change the wording to that song, when the saved get to heaven. Because I discern that we're all not going to heaven. Those who've never obeyed Christ, been baptized into Christ for the remission of sins, raised up out of that water to walk in a new life, and all that the Bible talks about there, having sins forgiven, receiving the blood of Christ and the benefit of Christ, those who have refused to do that, who will not do that, we're all not going to go to heaven. The saved are going to go to heaven. Those have been obedient to the gospel of Christ. Living a transition. And doing their best to use the gifts that God has given them. For the benefit of the church. And the potential of the body of Christ. Oh yes, the saved are going to heaven. But are you going to heaven? And as I said, I love this about heaven. I love to hear preachers preach about heaven. Oh, how beautiful heaven must be, and indeed, so many wonderful pictures and references with regard to the matter of heaven. But the question is, am I going to go there? And the answer is yes, if I'm obedient to the gospel and living the Christian life. Yes. That's a guaranteed fact if I'm faithful to it no, if I do not turn my life over to Jesus Christ and be obedient to his divine word. And I urge you to do that now, if you haven't. If you never obeyed the gospel, and I've outlined it for you, if you've been unfaithful to it, and I urge you to do that now, won't you come? While together we stand and while we sing.